This is a previously recorded episode. This show is broadcasting live from Detroit Sound Studios above Activate Gaming and is part of the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. And welcome to Episode 7 of LizInDetroit.com. I am a new voice. I am Newman. People refer to me as Michael DeRay when they want to use my Christmas Christian name, Christmas name for Lord. Um, I'm sitting here today. We're waiting on Liz. Liz is just a few minutes behind. She's coming in. So in the meantime, I want to remind you that you can find Liz on Twitter at LizInDetroit.com if you're looking for her on Facebook. That's relatively simple also. It is Liz in Detroit. And her website is www.lizindetroit.com. That's www.lizindetroit.com. So with that, um, we've had some really nice shows over the past six, and we've had a nice mix between both real estate and things happening in and around the city of Detroit. I know our last episode, uh, I believe we had John Tenza on from Flying Tigers, which is a phenomenal program. So those of you that are agents out there, as well as prospective agents, I would look for John um, out there on the, uh, the internet under Flying Tigers. It's a wonderful program, and I know that it was good. So feel free to go back on podcastdetroit.com. You can go back and listen to the previous six episodes for Liz in Detroit. With that, one of the things that we have today is we have Gary DeGrandchamp with us, and Gary is the managing director, officer of the Dearborn, Dearborn Heights office. Correct. So, Gary, I'd like to welcome you to the program as Thanks Liz gets me. set up. Yeah, Gary, tell us a little bit about your background, just a little bit of your history. Um, so I started in the real estate industry back in 2003. Um, not a bad time to be in the marketplace to, to sell real estate, but started back in 2003. Um, so I've been doing it, um, since then a friend of mine's father was, uh, in the business and, uh, he said, Hey, you want a job? And I said, sure. And so I started working with him actually for a competitor uh, at the time. And, uh, he told me, go to real estate one. They have the best training. They can get you set up. Um, so I did. He said, uh, after that, come see me. And I just never left. So uh, 13 plus years later, here I am. Well, and with that, we welcome Liz into the program. Liz, how are you? Hello, everyone. Liz, tell me a little bit about your affiliation with Gary. How did you meet Gary? I don't remember. Oh, come on. <laughs> no, no. I, I believe it was Gary when I decided to make the switch from working with um, different brokerages downtown in the city um, for kind of like smaller loft development. I decided to make a big change in 2007 and um, came aboard with Real Estate One. We met at the Livonia office, which was yep. seven mile and 275. And I couldn't even believe that I was making that kind of commute. But I was really happy because we had a great manager at the time, um, Ed Bolin. Love you, Ed. Mm -hmm. And um, we met there. And I know that you were taking more on as a managerial role then. And when we made changes from the office, it was great when you went to Dearborn. Because I'm like, great, it's closer to home. So right. it was kind of perfect. But uh, now that I'm here, once again, hello, everyone. Thanks for welcoming us into another uh, Liz in Detroit podcast. Um, I felt it was important to bring Gary on board to talk about kind of like 
how, you know, uh, the importance of of who you choose for a real estate agent as well as the the different brokerages are out there and the knowledge base of why I chose Real Estate One and why they still remain to be one of the the key brokerages um, I feel in the state, but not to mention their referral business nationally and internationally is so strong. So thanks again for coming on board today. Yeah. No, thanks for having me. But um, I know I've referred a lot of agents to you as of late um, as I'm in the midst of transition and possibly bringing more people on the team. But um, tell us why you feel it's important that people look as Real Estate One as a resource when they're looking to try to get their license, like the importance of what kind of education they provide. Yeah, definitely. Good question. I mean, a lot of agents will approach me or even approach other of our, uh, other agents that we have in the organization about getting into the industry. It's a great time to be a realtor. I mean, values are up, uh, market's hot, and if you're going to work hard, you're going to have a lot of payoff. But what the licensing does at a state level is just provide you enough information to obtain your license. And then from there, you need to make sure that you're aligning yourself with a broker that's going to be able to educate you and show you the actual quote unquote street knowledge that you need uh, to be able to be successful in the industry. And I think truly we do that better than anybody else. Um, and I think we're set up to do that. And so um, it's extremely important to make sure that if you're an agent uh, who wants to get in on the, on the market um, now is a great time, but more importantly, it's also extremely important to make sure that you're aligning yourself uh, with a brokerage that supports what your needs are and what your goals are. What are the things in the, the numerous interviews you've had with agents? What are the things that you look for in these candidates that you know allow you to make the determination are these people going to be good for not only you know possibly your office or real estate one as a company? Like, what are the key things that you look for? Good question. Um, a lot of what the agents are lacking, we can provide. So most agents will come to us and, and they'll be somewhat self-conscious in regards to their education or their experience or uh, working with uh, clients and paperwork, et cetera. And they tend to uh, focus on that where I focus on something totally opposite. When I'm looking at agents and interviewing agents for, for uh, uh, our brokerage, it, it's looking with someone who's going to be able to have the discipline, uh, the work ethic. Uh, being able to uh, properly time block and, and dedicate themselves to the industry. I can't teach that, right? So I can't teach someone how to dedicate themselves to a craft. I can't teach somebody how to want to try to better themselves, et cetera. So if they can bring that to the table, then I think we can bring the rest. So the stuff that most agents focus on, we can take care of. The paperwork, the transactions, the uh, objection handling techniques, so on and so forth, we can cover that as long as they can bring everything else. So that's what I look for. Gary, what do you think one of the biggest misconceptions that new agents have as they're coming into the business? Ah, that's a good question. Uh, there's probably a few, but I think a, a lot in what I hear, and we kind of joked about it earlier, is is that um, I'll have agents that come and say, you know, oh, and I'll ask them, well, what brought you to this chair? Why are you here? Um, because I like houses. And I sit there and I'm like, what? So it, it's a little bit deeper than that, right? So you like houses and I like people and I like to make my own schedule. And then all of a sudden you give them the opportunity to make their own schedule and they don't like it at all. Uh, so <laughs> it, it's a little bit of a challenge there from that aspect. So I think the misconception is, is that I'm going to come here and I'm going to, since I'm a people person, I'm going to just show up and my broker is going to hand me a list of people to call and I'm going to call them and I'm going to sell them houses and 
and life's going to be good, and I'll be able to do that three hours a day and and, and make a bunch of money. Um, <laughs> I like that three hours. I want that. Yeah, three hours. right. Maybe three hours prospecting, <laughs> uh, but not total work. So that's kind of a misconception. So I got to dig a little bit deeper on some of that and find out exactly what's their motivation and what gets them there. Because as you know, Liz and any successful agent knows, it's a heck of a lot more than being able to like people and like houses. Yeah, and I mean, I feel fortunate with the referral base for as long as I've been in the business um, to to be on the end where I'm actually getting people calling me because they referred to me from past clients or other people that I've come in contact with. That is extremely lucky because mm-hmm. it really doesn't normally flow that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet I still find myself more doing a lot more prospecting now myself just even getting out there to do more events putting my name and face out there with more people you know because i think you've got to be able to touch things from every different angle like these podcasts or like going to different work functions joining organizations where you're going to put yourself out there in front of other people and you're right i don't i don't think people realize what how much of a commitment that is now if you are looking to be an agent and you have a big, strong fear of sphere of influence of friends that, you know, already are in a position where they trust and believe in you for the skills that you have, then that gives you an additional obvious leg mm-hmm. up to be able to, per, you know, propel yourself even further in a career even quicker than other people would. But normally, do you find that people have that those kind of resources when they come to you? It's, it's always different. It's really, really hit or miss. I mean, you'll have some people who have a really small sphere of influence and you'll have others that their sphere of influence is quite large. That's typically the first step I try to have agents focus on uh, because it's cost effective, right? Uh, plus, there's already a, a relationship built there. Um, so I think for some agents, it takes work. I let them know that their sphere of influence doesn't drop out of the sky. And so it takes work. It takes going to social events and, and being able to, like I say, rub elbows, shake hands and kiss babies, right? You got to be able to be in front of people and be able to get to meet people and, and get that face-to-face connection to add them to your sphere of influence. So um, I, I would say it is hit or miss. It just depends. I think the biggest thing is 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 regardless of the size of their sphere of influence when they work through the door, I think the most important thing is that they continually focus on growing it. Whatever that number is, continue to grow that sphere of influence and keep that top of mind. What would you say is the percentage of, of these agents that you meet that possibly are coming from other real estate brokerages? So they have experience already being an agent, but might be coming from a different office. You know, And what, what are one of the things I'd say, A, that brought them to, to meet with you as mm-hmm. a rep for Real Estate One, you know, um, and making that change? Yeah, good question. Um, in regards to what, uh, what kind of sparks that is, it's typically they're unhappy about something, um, whether it be with their current brokerage, their current uh, situation. It could be actually something even in their personal life that has nothing to do with the actual broker that they're with um, that sparks that change. So there's some type of uh, something that's unsettled that they're not happy with, and it sparks a need for change. They might not be making the money they may want to m- make, et cetera. So um, when they come to, to me, they're generally, I don't want to call them necessarily broken, but not in a position where they want to be. Uh, so I think it's really asking good questions to find out where they want to go. And then my job is to try to write that roadmap, draw that roadmap to find out uh, how to get them there. And that's what they're looking for. They're looking for guidance to say, this is what I want to do. Can you and do they feel confident enough in you to be able to make that happen? And obviously, if they're talking to you, they probably more than likely don't feel like that, that they're confident that their current broker will get them there. Right. 
You know, Gary, one of the questions I have is what do you see as the number one reason why agents change their brokerage? That's a great question. I would say the number one reason agents uh, change their broker, most brokers will probably answer the question as money, and I disagree with that. They, the What the agent might tell their previous broker, it was because they moved because of money, but that's typically not the reason why agents move. So I would say they may come to you as their new potential broker or to their old broker and, and discuss dollars and cents, but typically they're unhappy about something. And I think it's different from, e- from each person. Each agent really has something. But I think at the end of the day, to answer your question, is that they're unhappy about something in their current business, their current uh, life. And it could be as simple as they don't feel like they're getting the support they need, or they don't feel like their opinion matters. They don't feel part of a group, or they don't feel like the values of their current broker are in line with their current values. So um, it's a variety of reasons, but something that they're unsettled about. And, and the answer is is typically not money. They might start the conversation off. Once you dig a little bit deeper, you find out that's generally not the case. In your role now, um, to clarify, you know, real estate one has multiple offer uh, offices, excuse Correct. me, but you've got um, a corporate offices, which are located in Southfield, but you're, you're, your position and the job of which you hold at Dearborn is as an associate broker, correct? Yeah. So we talked about this a little bit earlier mm-hmm. as well. And so I'm glad you brought it up. And so there's a couple things here. So you have associate brokers and then you have managing brokers, you have team leaders, it, depending on the institution, the brokerage you're a part of will you know classify it as, as something different. Um, at the end of the day, um, each brokerage has one broker. So for us, that's Dan Elsie. Um, and so he's the broker um, and it happens to be the owner of Real Estate One. And then from there, you have other managing brokers or associate brokers. Um, I believe it's within 25 miles of the corporate headquarters or office. Um, as long as that office falls into that 25 miles, then an associate broker um, is not needed, uh, which is basically someone who holds a broker's license but works underneath the actual broker. Um, and so in those cases, a lot of times you'll see them called either uh, managing brokers, team leaders, associate brokers. At the end of the day, I think uh, the knowledge that they have and how long uh, you know they've been in the business and how many transactions they've come across is probably the most important thing. Sure. But at the end of the day, each brokerage has one broker. Got it. Do you find now that with your position as managing um, broker mm-hmm. at the Dearborn office that you're just as engaged still with selling and listing on your side as you are with being a good mentor to the agents that you have? Like the ban- what Describe like the balance that you now face yourself in being in that position. Great question. Um, depending on what day you catch me will depend on how successful <laughs> I think I'm doing in that. Um, so I would say ask my agents, but it depends on what day. Mm-hmm. Um, but long story short, I do think that some level um, of, of knowledge about the current market is extremely important for the managing broker leader that you have. Um, for me to reference things that from 20 years ago, it just isn't relative. Uh, irrelevant in this market. So you know how the market's always ever changing. So I think to be engaged in that market and have some level of experience where I can relate to the agent and say, I know exactly what you're talking about. I just went through the exact same thing past this past week. So 
Um, the balance and wearing the multiple hats is probably going to be the, t- is the toughest thing to have that balance. I think where it fo- uh, where I fall short is in my personal life, and that's where I sacrifice because of that. Uh, and and I want to be able to give all I can to not only my agents but my personal clients as well. So, well, I know many times when as long as I've been in the business since you know before. Before you, I got involved in 1997, and I still find myself that I go to you to answer questions mm. or, you know, or other agents within Real Estate One. And I think that's one of the things, you know, that I, on the show, continuously, I say, like, it's constantly a learning process. 100%. And having mentors and or people that you trust and know that have that knowledge base is really important. Because I, I can say that you know the ins and outs <laughs> like of like so. real estate contracts and, you know, due diligence. And that is just so key because some of the simplest things that you may think, oh, I'm right. And then I brought it to your attention. Well, Liz, you're <laughs> not quite right. You know, and just having that wake up call. It's important because, again, it's not only, you know, my job, my client, you know, the contract that's on the line. It's it's also my representation of the company itself because mm-hmm. you got to always think about that. You know? mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. Gary, with that, what is your balance, not your blend, but your balance between managing the office and then you as a personal realtor, you as a personal agent? What do you see? How much time is spent as a manager and how much time is spent as a realtor? Great question. While to answer that question, I try to delegate as much as possible um, and, and delegate in certain areas where they can can be delegated. So for instance, I've surrounded myself with a team, um, in my case, my personal assistant, and then I also obviously have a, an office manager that helps me with the day-to-day operations of the, of, of the company or the brokerage as our office. Um, in regards to a rule, I would say that Maybe if you were talking percentages, uh, you're probably talking. I'm, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a nine to fiver uh, for the uh, for the office, and then weekends and evenings, I'll take care of my clients if need be. It uh, doesn't mean that I'm not available to my agents as well on weekends or evenings, which I think is nice because they know that I'm engaged in the marketplace. So they're going to probably be have a higher chance of reaching me at those times of the day because I'm probably out there doing the same thing that they are. So. One of the things that I'm really impressed about with your office is the front office staff. Yeah. Um, and specifically, you know, Lori does a great job as the office yep. manager. But the work that Amy and Amanda have done, it, tell me a little bit about how much you rely on them for their outreach with other agents, including Liz. They help me out a ton. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great to hear. And that's what they're there to do. Um at the end of the day, uh, we are truly a team, and, and, and I, don't, I don't say that just because it's something that's easy to say. Um, we are only as good as our weakest link, and so I want to make sure that, that we have everyone on the same page. I would say since I took over the office, which has been, man, time flies, four years now uh, since I've been there, that has been something I've been continuing to try to work on and trying to um, get just right. And I feel like we'll never be perfect, right? But we're pretty, pretty darn close. And so I rely on them quite a bit. And, and solely their job is to support the agents and assist them in what they need to do so that the agents can simply make more money and close more deals, period. So what do you see then as your biggest challenge right now as a manager? Great question. Um, biggest challenge I would say as a manager is wearing all the different hats, right? So it depends on what day of the week and what time of the day. 
but uh, I'm not sure the time it is right now. But I would say from this morning until now, I probably was a coach, a mentor, a motivational speaker, a psychologist. <laughs> so I think the a legal expert on real estate, a legal expert expert with a disclaimer that I'm not an attorney, because um, you have the answer right in front of you as you're asking the question. Exactly, exactly. It goes it goes about uh, surrounding yourself with people where they can get uh, answers to questions. But um, so I think that's the biggest challenge, at least for me as a manager, is wearing all of those different hats um, at different times and being able to balance that because you do go through a whole series of different uh, hats that you need to put on for that day, that week, that month, et cetera. Um, and I'm glad that you mentioned like what all your roles are in a day because those are one of the serious things that I looked at and considered as I was looking to expand things in the city. It's like, what what did I want to do? Did I want to take on that role mm-hmm. by possibly leaving Real Estate One and starting my own brokerage? Mm-hmm joining teams possibly with other people to create a company or what. And that your dedication and your ability to wear all those hats led me to believe that it is such an even bigger job than I think of. Not that I'm not capable of doing it, but I know what I enjoy doing and that's much more of, of the sales and not necessarily on that management side because it does take up a lot more time. And, um, I just appreciate that a lot, and I, I just want you to say that it, you know, it makes a decision to stay that much easier. <laughs> well, makes you know, I mean, it's true because it's there's a lot there's a lot you always juggle as an agent. You know, you think, well, I could possibly do better right now. No, I mean, it, everything is is greater responsibility, tasks, being able to manage staff, all of that becomes such a greater burden. And mm-hmm. I've talked to more seasoned agents who've been working for a longer period of time that might have at one point had their own brokerage have chosen places like real estate one to hang their hats because they can keep their happy team and again kind of offset having all that liability and stress of having that own brokerage themselves so yeah i hear a lot of that as well i hear a lot of that as well and and i think at that point to kind of piggyback on that is that what when they look at the dollars and cents and the structure of it at the end of the day you want to make sure that you're focusing on your highest income producing activity. Right. And for everybody, it's a little bit different. Right. Uh, but for one of your agents, agents such as yourself that are out there selling a bunch of real estate, you need to be out there face to face with people. And anything that takes you away from that is going to take you away from what you do best. Exactly. And so you have other people around you that can handle those. Gary, I'd like to ask you, we bring in guests all the time. Yeah. And not all the guests have the same trenching or are ingrained in Detroit as much as we are, mm-hmm. right? I'm not saying you're an outsider. You, yeah. you spend a lot of time outside of the city. Yeah. What is your take, both as a real estate professional and as a real estate manager, mm-hmm. of what's going on in Detroit right now? Great question. Um, so, so I've been in the business since 2003. So I've seen the the kind of the ups, the downs, and everything in between. And listen, we all know we got hit hard, right? So did a lot of other cities, but I think what is inspiring is the uh, the rebound, the bounce back that the city of Detroit is making. And you really just can't say it. You have to see it, right? Liz, you see it every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's I, th- I think, is, is, is motivation. Now, on the flip side, it also people, agents who have left the city during the hard times are now starting to open up their eyes and say, wait a minute. Property values are coming up. There's new developments happening. I want to get back into that. 
And it's just not as easy as just snapping your fingers and doing. So I see the challenge, the positive I see is the opportunity. Um, and I think it's great. And there's a lot of people here, local people who are changing and making that happen. Um, but the scary thing or the thing we need to watch is making sure that the people from the real estate side of things are experts in their craft right. and have not just joined and kind of jumped on that bandwagon as, oh, all right, now it's a good time to get you know back into the city of Detroit and sell real estate. Honestly, if I was going to buy a piece of property in in the city of Detroit, I would reach out to an agent such as Liz or someone who specializes in the city because there's so many different things and intricacies about it that I even myself wouldn't be aware of. So I think the main thing is, is for agents to properly educate themselves on what those are. And if you're a buyer or a seller, making sure you do business with an agent that focuses on the city of Detroit. I know one of the things that we changed um, as far as the <clears throat> analytics for the office, for the company, that was mm-hmm. a big thing, was actually now that we're seeing this kind of resurgence with the city of Detroit and the value of deals that are being done here, we actually had the stats of um, Wayne County split up to actually better um, put that to the paper of mm-hmm. like what kind of deals are happening specifically within the city proper you know, in relationship to the rest of Wayne County and what a big impact that is. And I'm happy to say, thanks to you, Newman, and your support, Gary, that, you know, we showed on paper that those statistics are like real on how and on, on what's being sold, who's selling them. And that's a really big impact when you compare that with how other surrounding suburb areas are doing. And it's mm-hmm. much bigger than I think that Wayne County was given credit for as far as overall sales. And that to me is like really huge. And I think that was needed for the company itself to see that because we, I know uh, not only myself, but other agents that have been doing real estate in the city, you know, before the crash, well before the crash, and now still thankfully doing successful during it, want to see that the presence of real estate one actually having that office in Detroit comes mm-hmm. to life. Mm-hmm. You know, when it, that was one of the things that Liz and I had talked about when we were looking at the empirical data coming through from real estate one. And those resources resources are just invaluable. But what was frustrating to a lot of us, it would say Wayne County excluding the city of Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, okay, so where's the Detroit? Mm-hmm. You know, and for a mm-hmm. long time, the market, everybody else is like, you know what? It's not anything that we really do. We haven't busted that out. And with Liz and especially with your support, yep. like she just articulated, we were able to now go in, drill down. And when we do our marketing to our prospective clients, because what we're seeing in the city of Detroit, people that are coming down and buying, it's not the families. We know mm-hmm. that. But the amount of young people coming in, we knew would come with Quicken and the employers. But what has been shocking to a lot of people is the amount of empty nesters that have been coming down yeah. that are buying $300,000 condos in the Park Shelton mm-hmm. just to say, I want a place for the weekend. Mm-hmm. I want a place to be able to go to mm-hmm. get away for a little while. And so we wouldn't have been able to do that without that data splitting it up and saying, okay, here's how much the houses are. People still have that misconception of Detroit that every house is five to ten thousand dollars. That all right. you have to do is either pay the back taxes or you're getting the land. Right. And you know we've seen many articles and Liz posts all the time across her social media saying we're at a point right now where it's really starting to tighten up. And if you're going to get in, you got to get in now because even the new developments coming down where you can look at Park Shelton 
or developments like that, which could be anywhere between two to three hundred dollars per square foot. The new developments coming online, these developers have no issue saying, you know what, we're going to put it out there at four hundred dollars a square foot. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the education that we rely on on ours and you know the support that we get from you as well as Dearborn to say you know there's lots of good things it's like Emily Gale used to say say nice things about Detroit and we're that way again and so it's always good to get an outsider's perspective per se mm-hmm. you know of what's going on in the city and what you see yeah yeah no it's exciting to see it's exciting to to watch and it's, it's exciting to have part of our agents and more specifically my agent be a part of that. So, um, yeah, anything that we can do to support that and provide accurate and up-to-date data to assist our agents and to be able to have them assist their clientele, the sellers and buyers in the city, we'll gladly do. Gladly do. And Liz, with that right now, um, specifically Park Shelton, which you are the exclusive well, not even for. specifically Park Shelton, like the city in general. Yes, we've still got remaining units at the Park Shelton that are great. You know, um, we're down to our but that's last limited. Yeah, we're down to our last eight units, most of which are two bedroom, two bath units, um, priced between three and three fifty. Um, but we really anticipate our closeout to occur probably um, come late October. As I anticipate, final closing sales will commence after our last bit of inventory is released. But even from a new listing standpoint, um, as as happy as I am to list and sell clients' um, properties, you know, of that caliber of the lofts right off the you know heart of Midtown in that corridor that are selling for you know three hundred thousand dollars plus, I still feel that the strength and the balance of the city is all of those other price points that I feel that that people who really want to be in the city aren't necessarily spending those high dollars. Those are the people that are possibly wanting to purchase those things less than that. So um, got a bunch of new listings coming up in some of the cooperative markets in the Elmwood and Lafayette Park area that are very well priced under a hundred grand, better yet, you know, under seventy five thousand that are great to look at. Communities that you know, pretty much, yes, they have higher monthly association fees, but they pretty much include everything from maintenance of your major mechanical exterior to your water and your gas. So you're only looking at one utility bill you have to pay on top of that, and including property taxes, too, I should say that. So that's pretty fantastic. Very excited about getting those up and running today and tomorrow, those new listings. Um, also, some great new rentals in, Laf- in Lafayette Park at the Leland Building. Had a great sale of an investor unit that I'll be putting online, a two-bedroom, one-bath rental for $1,900 a month, which includes all utilities. So that will be a great deal with two parking spaces. Great location. You can walk to every sports game, you know, the entertainment district, um, convenience, um, shopping, food, you name it, restaurants are all within your immediate access. Um, so and and I have probably more listings coming up in the near future too in other parts of Lafayette Park, but those are secrets right now. And that's why we always encourage people to continue to follow us on social media. Once again, on Twitter, you can find us at LizInDetroit.com. And on Facebook, where LizInDetroit.com also, you can just in your search bar, it's just LizInDetroit. And www.LizInDetroit.com, which we keep updated with listings as they come online. Or just call me, 313-617-2699. So, Gary, we want to thank you for coming on today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Gary. You're welcome. Liz, always good to see you. I know you've got exciting stuff coming up. 
uh, yeah, over I've, the next couple shows. I have um, somebody that I met um, that works for Habitat for Humanity because another segue with things that I like to get involved in is customer service with various or I should say community service with um, different organizations um, within the city of Detroit. And I'm going to bring um, her on board to talk more about the great things that Habitat for Humanity is doing in surrounding um, communities with, within uh, the city of Detroit um, for building new communities. So that's going to be exciting coming up soon, too. And hopefully bring back Christian Dreheim with the infatuations for an actual live performance in our new studios here. That'll be great because he's doing Shane Park coming up yes, with he is. Sheila E. and the Tower of Power. I believe that's July 22nd. That is correct. So you'll be able to find that online. And with that, what you'll see from Liz going forward, uh, probably two weeks from now, we're going to look at going every other Wednesday. And we'll be here at 3 o'clock. And you can always pass us along to your friends. You can find us on Facebook to replay the podcast. And you can look for us on podcastdetroit.com. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. This is a previously recorded episode.